0: Uh, Thank you for that Uh, worship team, that was a blessing to me, I don't know about you, uh, but if you have a Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning, we're going to conclude chapter 4, and so we're picking up uh, some pace, and we're trying to get through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, if you are uh, new uh, to this uh, church or to this series, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes, and so we've got all the way to chapter 4 and last week we introduced chapter 4 at the end of the service uh, verses 1 through 3 and we're going to continue on today and we're going to talk about a topic uh, really that I think uh, paints a picture in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and it's the reality that life is supposed to function together and that you're supposed to have an element of what we would call community and so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that this morning. At the end of the day, we were created to worship God, right? Uh, that is why we are here. That is why we are present, to, to worship uh, our Lord, to worship uh, God for who He is. And the opposite of that would be to worship self. And what we've seen in the past four cha- three chapters is that Solomon essentially lives his life in a pursuit of worshiping his self. And what we find is that worshiping self is contrary to what God wants for our lives. And a life focused on self is a life that draws us further away from God and further away from God's design for our life and God's design for the way in which we live our life. And so one aspect that God calls us to uh, is this element or is this, this, this area, I should say, of community and of doing life together. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Because even from the beginning, when we were created to worship God and and we messed that up and Adam and Eve messed that up to to pursue their own fleshy desires, we also see even from the beginning uh, that we were not intended to do life alone. When God created everything, what did he say, this is good, right? Uh, light, it's it's good. Earth, it's it's good. Water, it's it's good. Uh, animals, it is good. But in Genesis two verse eighteen, there was something that God says is was not good for the first time in scriptures because He says, and God said to them, "It is not good for man to be alone." What's He saying? It's not good that 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 people live an isolated, lonely life. It is. It is not. Good. And so Ecclesiastes chapter four uh, will we'll see this and, and we feel this. Right? That's why American culture we live we live our lives, filling our lives with anything and everything that we can can imagine. Why? Because we don't like the 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 feeling of being and feeling alone. It's not a good place to be. It's not a good feeling to have. I was in student ministries for, for about 10 years, and I can't tell you the amount of times I had a counseling with students. And I would sit down with students, and students would say, uh, Pastor Travis, I don't really know how to, how to handle this issue. Or, or I've just, I've got to this, this place with addiction or with time management. And, and I'll always ask something after a period of conversations I really want to figure out how'd you get to this point? How did you get to this place in your life? And they'd they'd go around it a lot of different ways, but we'd always come to a conclusion almost every time with the reality of this. I don't like the feeling of being alone. I don't like the feeling of being isolated. When I'm isolated, I fall into things I shouldn't. And and when I get this feeling of being alone, it leads me to a place where, where I know God doesn't want me here, but this is the state in which I live. And so this is what we see. And so Ecclesiastes is going to paint a picture, and he's going to essentially say what Genesis 2 says. Hey, it's not good that people do life alone. We need people in our life. And even if you're not a people person in here, which I guarantee there's a few, you don't want to live your life completely alone. There may be a season when when we just need a break and we need to step back and, and refresh and renew, but there will be a time when we want people again, when we want interaction again, when we need community. Again, we've seen this during COVID. I don't know about you, but, but uh, you know, aside from, uh, from, from the deaths and the heaviness of COVID, like, uh, COVID itself, the ability to, like, step back and take a break, for me, it, it was enjoyable. Like, I lived a, a pretty fast-paced, busy life, and, and to be able to step back and stay at home, like, that was, that was nice for, like, two weeks. But then it was like, all right, uh, can someone figure this, this, this cure already so we can get back to life? Because, well, because it's not good for people to be alone. And you see this. If, if you look at, uh, at, at during that COVID time when, when people were in isolation, guess what? Depression rates skyrocketed. Suicide rates skyrocketed. Why? Because we weren't created to be alone. We, we need interaction. We need people in our lives, but it also showed us some, some areas of, of Christian uh, community that was lacking during those seasons because, because people became a little bit comfortable with, with maybe just church online or, or maybe just going through the motions, and we felt in this area uh, of community and, and being uh, together and, and, being, and having unity uh, surrounding Christ, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, and the reality is this, two things. One, you may be sitting here and you already have community. I'm good. Check. I can go home now or what? Well, uh, maybe this this morning God will encourage you to grow it. Maybe this morning God will encourage you to, to, to take your community and reach out and, and draw somebody else in. Or, or maybe, uh, secondly, you, you're kind of the mindset of kind of just coming and going. I just come to church because I want to hear from God's word, which, which we should. I just want to, I just want to grow, but, but community, I don't really need it. And, I, and I, want to, uh, I want us to see through Ecclesiastes that we need uh, a biblical community. And we need people in our life. And here's the reality is uh, that your church needs yours too, it's not just like you need it, but, but we, need, we need you. And, and we're, the, we're the hands and feet of Jesus, and that's what we'll find. And so, and so we need to be uh, fitly knit together, which we'll see in another scripture. I think it's in Colossians. That, that we're doing life together and functioning in a spirit of unity with community. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, as well. Um, because I believe, this is personal opinion, I believe church is not just a place where, where we just come and hide. And we just come and kind of kind of blend in. But, but church, uh, and there's a season for that. Uh, there's a lot of people in this room that have even faced hurt and, and struggle and difficulties or even burnout. And you just need to s- slow down and, and just and just cool off. And there's a season for that. But, but I believe the Bible doesn't paint us a picture of that's a place in which we live. Uh, but, but we uh, are come together in a spirit of community. We're the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of, of Christ. And we come together and we have community. And as we have community, we, we grow in the Lord. And, we, and we're equipped for the work of the ministry. And we gain knowledge and we challenge each other. And I love that. And that's what we're created to be. That's the church. The church is not just Sunday. We are the church Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And and we assemble as a community of believers on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and to learn and to study. Uh, But it's so much more than that. And that's what I want to see through the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And so if you have a Bible, verse 4, we're going to read all the way down through 16. The Bible says this. He says again, I saw that the, all the toil and every skillful work a man of a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and he consumes his own flesh. Better a handful of quietness than both hands full together with toil, grasping for the wind. Verse 7, then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. For there's one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there's no end to all his labors, nor is I satisfied with riches, but he never asks, whom, for whom do I toil and deprive myself good? This is also vanity, and it's a grave misfortune. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a reward, a good reward for their labor, but also if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone, for when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king, who will be admonished no more. For he, for he comes out of prison to be king, and although he was born poor in his kingdom, I saw all the living who walked under the sun, for they were with a second youth who stands in his place. There was no end to all the people over whom he has made king, yet those who come after will not rejoice in him anymore. And so it was vanity and grasping for the wind. Let's pray and then we'll dive into what this passage has to say. Father, Lord, we thank you. For your goodness, we thank you for your mercy, we thank you for community. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that this this morning we will uh, take uh, the context, take the biblical approach, and see what you have for us this morning. And Lord, may we lean in, uh, not to what I have to say, but to what your word says. And may your word speak to people in the way in which you intend it to. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray Amen. I want to see three things found in this text this morning. The first thing I want you to see is that we were not created to live isolated. We were not created to live isolated. Verse 4 says this again. I saw uh, all the toil. That word—that word means labor. I saw all the labor and every skillful. That, thats to build. That—that's to construct. That—that—that—that that, that, that is a, a kind of a, a special talent. It's not just uh, something. Maybe you're, you're uniquely gifted—a char- characteristic, uh, but more of a, a building, a construct, a work. That man is envied by his neighbor, and this is vanity, and it's grasping for the wind. Because a fool folds his hands, and he consumes his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than both hands full. Together with toil, it's grasping for the wind. You could say it this way. Life goes better together. Life goes better together. And so Solomon's going to take some time, and all throughout the, the chapter, chapter 4, and he's going to paint a picture for you. Okay? And so he's going to take you to, to different places and see different results under the sun. Remember, this is from a mindset of someone who's not actively dwelling on, on God, right? And so he's going to take you to, to certain places, and he's going to tell us what he essentially sees. And so in verse 1 through 3, we saw last week, he, sees, he goes to, to the courts, and he sees unfair treatment. He sees injustice. And then, he, and then we find that he goes through verse 4 and 8, and he, and he goes to kind of the city streets. And what he sees is, is that we'll see in just a minute, men are working, uh, men are doing, men are lazy, men are idle, men are lonely. And what's it bring? It brings isolation. And so he goes to the city streets, and he says, apart from God, people live an isolated life. And then he goes on. And he goes to verse 9 through 12, and he goes kind of to the highways. And what he sees is he sees people need community. Two are better than one. We, we need people in our lives. And then he's going to end the chapter and he's going to go into the palace. He's going to go to leadership and he's going to f- see uh, loneliness. He's going to see that's the loneliest place to be under the sun. And so uh, the speaker heads out to all these different places and he's essentially seeing this, <laughs> nothing in life is fair. I go here, and it doesn't happen. I go to the streets, and it, there, there's no fulfillment. I go to the cities and the highways. There's nothing. And I even go to the palace, and I'm still coming up empty under the sun because we need people. And as he's searching for anything in this monotonous cycle, he's coming up empty apart from God, which is why he would write something in Proverbs 27.1 whenever, uh, whenever it says this, do not boast yourself of tomorrow because you don't know what a day may bring. And you get the picture of how Solomon is is writing some heavy scriptures in Proverbs because of the life that he's seeing in Ecclesiastes. And he said, don't boast yourself there. Because in there, uh, if you do, it only simply brings a lifestyle of isolation. And so we see this. And the Bible here in Ecclesiastes 4 at the beginning is going to show us that anything you do apart from God will, will only bring you to a level of isolation, and when you're isolated, it'll come with some baggage too. Because isolation is never used as, as a good thing. Isolation has been used as a punishment for, for generations, for years, right? Remember in kindergarten, if you act up in kindergarten, what happens? You get sent to the corner alone. Right? In, in elementary school, you, you got in trouble and you got sent out to the hallway, Alone, right? In prison, if you get in trouble in prison, uh, what happens? You go to solitary confinement. Why? Because it's never a benefit to be alone. It's used as, as a punishment because we weren't created to be isolated. We were created uh, to be in community, and that's what we're going to see. And so the writer, he's going to list some specific examples of isolation, And he's going to see what this life of isolation brings us and the baggage that it holds, too. And so the first place he turns is he turns to a place of envy. Look at verse. uh, I don't know what verse it is. I didn't write it down. Um, I'll just read it. Every skillful work. What verse is that? Every skillful work. I could look at it, but you guys are smarter than me. Every skillful work a man is envied by his neighbor. That's what it says. So he turns to this place of envy and he looks at this kind of industrious person. That's who he's he's looking at, and what what he's going to conclude is that he's going to say the reason they're never satisfied isn't because they haven't reached that which they wanted to achieve, but it's that they want something that somebody else has achieved. They're never satisfied under the sun, and so he turns to this place of of envy, and he's kind of of shedding light on maybe the workaholics in the room, and he's kind of like, hey, this is your lifestyle, you're never going to be content people are going to envy you and you're going to envy to be somewhere else. And we know work was created as a good thing. Genesis, I believe, two will tell us that God created work as a good thing. Jesus himself worked in Matthew 6. He learned to trade. Work is a good thing. But when you live for that, it only brings a lifestyle of isolation and envy. It doesn't uh, work. It doesn't cut it under the sun. And so uh, to live this way doesn't work. And we see a mention of a skill but really the focus here is on his heart. He's a skillful man, but the focus in this passage is not his skill was worthless and useless. It's that his, his, his heart had the wrong perspective. It's it, that his heart was focused on the wrong thing. So it was, it's good to have a skill. It's a good thing. Jesus had one. He, was, he, he, had, he had a trade. Uh, work is good, but, but the heart was the issue. And because the heart was wrong, the envy was there and the isolation came and the baggage and he was not where he was supposed to be. And so he says you're gifted, you're envied, but you yourself desire to be in a different place. And this isn't saying uh, to be ambitious is bad. This isn't saying uh, to work overtime is wrong. That's not what it's saying. It's talking about the heart why you do what you do, the approach in which you take. And he says, uh, and so so we we really see uh, this is a person who wants to be ahead of the competition and wants to beat the battle against the neighbors. He wants, to, he wants to live in that light. Like, look at me. That's who I am. It brings envy and isolation. You ever met somebody who just makes everything a competition in a bad way, right? There's, there's good, healthy competition, but then there's, like, uh, don't invite that guy over for game night competition because he just takes everything to the extreme, right? You see this in kids. Ace, my, my, my oldest, she's almost three next month, and uh, she's, uh, she loves uh, to come. Whenever I come home, she's like, Dad. Daddy, you want, to, you want to race, right? Like, okay, let's race, and, and I'll let her win, and, and we'll race, and she, when she wins, she's like, you want to do it again, right? You want to race again? And then we'll go inside, and she's like, Dad, we have these uh, magnets that she likes to build and build little houses out of them. And she's like, Dad, you want to build magnets? And like, I'll build it higher, right? And, then, and then, like, it's healthy competition, and it's cute, but the, the reality is when you start to lose, it becomes like envy and, and like you, you don't like to lose and you even see this in kids because uh, whenever I feel like I don't want to race her anymore, I'll win so that she doesn't want to race anymore, right? Like, get out of here. Go race your mom. I'm tired, right? I'll build the magnets and I'll go a little bit higher and, and she won't like, wow, you're doing such a good job, dad. No, what she do? She knocks it over because, because, she wants, because she wants to win and there's something ingrained in us. That says, Hey, I wanna win and if I'm not winning, I want what they have or wanna make them lose, right? That's just that's just in us, and he's shown us that, that this uh, will lead to a place of isolation because no one will like you if you're that person, and this will also lead you to a place of envy. You'll always want to be somewhere else, you'll always want to have something else. And we weren't created to live in a state of isolation, we were created to live in a state of community, and so we see this uh, time and time again. Someone once said, Comparing yourself to anyone will rob yourself of contentment. It's not about being ambitious. It's about comparison will will rob you of a content life that God intended for you to have. And so he sees this person who's ambitious to a fault, and that brings isolation. And so he turns to another person, and we see he turns to the person of idleness, uh, of idle living. Verse 5, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. That consumes his own flesh, it means that that he ruins himself, that his own spirit preys on itself. And that word folding of hands is oftentimes, when you see it in the Old Testament, it will symbolize a lazy lifestyle, a, a, a just an idle living. Right, you see this in, in Psalm uh, 6. Uh, Psalm 610, Psalm 610 when it says a little sleep and a little slumber and a little folding of hands to sleep. Verse 11, so shall your poverty come to you like, the, like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And he says, so there's one who's ambitious to a fault and that leads isolation. And there's one who's lazy to a fault and that also brings isolation too. What he's showing us is that really nothing that, that, that we can do can reach us to where God intends us to be. It's only in Christ that we can be who we're intended to be. And so laziness won't get there. Uh, ambitious, under the sun, will not get there either, either, that workaholic. And in the course of laziness, it may be comfortable, right? It's pretty comfortable to be lazy, but it will never get you to where God intended you to. To be under the sun. JP Jonathan Pakluda says it this way: Laziness will rob you of anything. Sorry, laziness will rob you of community and it'll keep you isolated. Uh, That's what workaholic, that that'll rob you too, but laziness, that'll rob you. That'll rob you from being where you're supposed to be, with whom you're supposed to be. And we see this. Uh, and, and he shows us this. But, but I want to note that laziness is not just the person sitting on the couch with, with the remote when they're supposed to be working or doing something else or playing with the kids. Like that, that's, a, that's a sign of laziness. But that's not, laziness can simply be uh, not doing what God's called you to do. Because the reality is it takes work to be who God's called us to be. Because the easy thing is is to, to be lazy, to not do what God has called us to to do because the natural thing to do isn't follow God because of, because of sin because of the curse the natural thing to do is what fall to sin live in sin that that that's easy because it takes work. It takes intentionality to, to study God's Word and to, and to spend time in God's Word. It takes sacrifice to commit to a group and to grow and to, and to want to develop relationships and to invest and to open up. It takes intentionality to, to serve God and to give as God commands us to give. It, it, take, it takes work to be who God has called us to be. And so there there's the, the workaholic to a fault, that brings isolation. There, there's the lazy person to the fall, that brings isolation too. And so then he says this in verse six: better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Well saying it's better to to have less and be content then have both hands overflowing and not being content. Because we see that's the place in which Solomon lived. He had both hands full, he felt full, but he was empty, right? David, come back up here, spray some water, he's grasping for the wind, he's blowing smoke, and he opens the box, and he has nothing, right? It's empty. And he says that's what it is. It's better to have just a little bit to yourself, quiet, content, than it is to, to boast of what you have, because the reality is you have nothing apart from apart from God. And so the preacher says essentially this, What's that verse mean? You need to have balance in your life, right? Yeah, work hard, uh, but, but don't be envious, but don't be lazy either. Uh, take care of responsibilities. Do what God's called you to do and do it uh, with energy and do it uh, for the glory of the Lord. Verse six says that. Essentially what he shows us is that, that we don't have to live our life in, in the cycle of the rat race. We don't have to live our lives uh, just just going, 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 reaching, 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 attaining, attaining, attaining. We can if God wants us to and do it for the glory of God, but we live our lives to, to his glory and do what God has called us to do and live in a life of contentment. Uh, and Solomon feels that because he had it all, but he felt as if he has nothing. And so he turns to another place. He saw envy, he saw laziness, and so now he turns to a place of loneliness. Look at verse 8. There's one alone without companion. He is neither son nor brother. He's lonely. It says that yet there uh, is no end to all his labor. He says, I work, but I feel so incomplete, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. I have all this, but, but I don't just have satisfaction. What am I missing? But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself good? Why can't I enjoy this? Why am I not getting what I'm supposed to be getting here? And he's alone, but he's very hard at work. He's alone, but he's doing, doing, doing. He's active, active, active. He's attained, but he feels like he's accomplished nothing. He has wealth, but he feels no contentment. And he has things, but he doesn't know how to enjoy them because what's missing, community, is nobody. He, he, he's, he's alone, and he's lived his life for all these things, but he has no one to enjoy them with because he missed uh, the purpose. He missed the priority. And the reality is, It may be easier to live isolated, but it wasn't intended for you. It may be easier to just deal with your own problems, but it wasn't intended for you. It may be easier to to lock yourself in a room and live there forever, but it's not intended for you. It's It's not a benefit for you. It's not... Good for you, and it doesn 't mean that, that everybody 's supposed to get married there 's a real gift in the Bible called called singleness and that 's oftentimes not talked about that doesn 't mean that everybody has to have a companion. But it does mean that, not, that everybody should not walk through this life alone. We need people, we need community, and that's one reason God created this place, the church, to, to experience that to the glory of God, equipping each other, growing each other in the knowledge and the truth of God's word. And we see this in today's culture with the workaholic, because the workaholic says, I, I got to attain more, and so they, they provide, but they're not present, right? Uh, they say uh, I got to make more so that I can give my family the life that I've always wanted to give my family, and so they're they're doing, but they're not they're not being they're not that being who God has called them to be, or they're or they're trying to live up to someone else's expectations, or trying to prove somebody wrong. And we need to do things for the glory of God, but we we need to take note that this this lifestyle will lead us to a place of loneliness, and there's just other things that matter more. There's just other things that matter more in this. Life, And we see this in today's culture. And so we need to steward. And God gives you employment. Do it for the glory of God. God gives you wealth. Do it for the glory of God. God gives you overtime. Do it for the glory of God. But, but we just have to come to this understanding that, that there's just something more in life uh, than a big bank account. And that's being a present Christian. There's just something more in life than giving your, your kids uh, the inheritance. And that's being a godly parent. There's just something more in life than than giving your, your spouse the dream home, and that's being present. There's just something more in life than, than, than working the side job to make a little bit more, and that's just to be in a, in a Christian community and to grow with one another. There's just something more to even just going to church when it kind of fits the schedule that, that hey, you should, you should have a desire to, to be where God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do and, 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 and have goals, attain them, but not forsake the spirit of community. And that you need people uh, pushing you and supporting you and challenging you and even keeping you accountable because we were not created to live isolated. Have you ever heard of the guy uh, by the name of Bobby Driscoll? Anybody ever heard of him, Bobby Driscoll? No one? I didn't either. I looked him up. Uh, he was the uh, he was a popular, uh, kind of popular actor who played the voice of the original Peter Pan. I've never seen the original Peter Pan, but he played that. He played in countless number of movies in the 40s and 50s. Childhood, childhood success, something that as kids you would want, you would dream to be Bobby Driscoll. Bobby Driscoll had a net worth about $1.5 million, but Bobby Driscoll died alone and homeless with $1.5 million. Story goes, Bobby Driscoll worked for Disney, and he had some instant childhood success with Peter Pan and along some other things. He works with some other studios. And Bobby Driscoll ended up uh, getting cut by Disney because of some acne scars that he had and just, just developed with his body. And that caused him to enter a state of, of depression. And so he went to drugs. And Bobby went to drugs. And he was in and out of different smaller productions. And Bobby got married and ended up having three kids. And later on in Bobby's life, he said, I'm going to make it again. And so he, he decides to leave his wife and abandon his three kids, and he heads to New York with all this money, and he's, he says, I'm going to make it on Broadway. Not long after that, Bobby's body was discovered in a, an abandoned Manhattan where, warehouse with drug residue all around, beer bottles, and, and even religious pam- pamphlets scattered all around his body. And unknown to really identify his body, the police uh, placed Bobby Driscoll in an unmarked grave grave. With no one to attend his funeral all the money the fame of early childhood bobby won early in life but bobby lost at life why because bobby missed what mattered because bobby abandoned what actually mattered community and so we're not to live isolated the second thing is this we're created for community Verse 12 says it this way, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they will fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who's alone, for when he falls, he, he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Solomon's saying, hey, it's more productive to be together because companionship will give us care. It will lift up his companion. Companionship will give us comfort. It will keep you warm. And companionship will be more secure. It's not uh, quickly broken. Navy SEALs will say this way, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Because you may be able to do it alone, but in the moment you fall, who's picking you up? Right? Who's there to, to help you? And that's why I believe God established a church. And church can be a place of that. And it shouldn't be uncommon in church to see a group over here before service uh, praying for God to meet in this place. And just praying for one another and interacting with each other. It shouldn't be uncommon for people in this The area to just laugh and and have fun and interact before service and after service. It shouldn't be uncommon over here to have a group of people shedding a tear because how God did a miracle in somebody's life this week or or just a struggle that somebody's... It shouldn't be uncommon. Why? Because we're the body of Christ and, and living in a spirit of community. That's what we were created to do, to grow together, to help each other and to be established because companionship is important. This week... There was somebody sick, and or last week, there was somebody sick in our church, and uh, I'm the pastor, and I had no clue. <laughs> but little did I know, there was a, there was a small group of people who were, who were loving and caring the best they could and doing exactly what they could. Why? Because, because that's what we do. That, that's, why, that's, why we're the, that's why we're the church. We're to grow. We're to minister. We're to help. We're to equip each other for the work of the ministry because two are better than one. Two are better than one. This, of course, has a work context to it. And he's saying, hey, you'll get more done when you're together. Even a stewardship principle that you may not make as much. You can make more alone, but your time is more valuable. And you can just get it figured out together better. And you get a a better return for your labor in that way. And so it gives us that principle as well. But then also it says, "For for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who's alone, for when he falls, he has no one to lift him up. In this culture, you would travel with, with a partner. You typically wouldn't just go uh, on an adventure on your own. You would have someone with you because the terrain was rough. There was no paved roads, no cars. And so you went with somebody because if you got hurt, you needed someone to help you out. Uh, you The Good Samaritan story, right? You needed somebody uh, there with you. It was also dangerous. There were thieves. And so you went with people. You had companions. Two was better than one. The principal, they acknowledged that. That made sense to them, But obviously this has a spiritual uh, aspect too, right? Galatians 6, 1 says this, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness concerning yourself, lest you also be tempted. And then what do you do? You bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the saying? Hey, if somebody gets entrapped with the sin that they didn't expect to get entrapped with... What do we do? The community of believers, we, we, we try to restore them, and then we bear their burdens with them. Be- because that's, that's the spirit of, of biblical community. We want to grow together. We want to help each other. We want to minister with one another because that is what we do. Because better, it's better to walk this life in community than to walk it alone because two is better than one. He says this, again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm, but how can one be warm alone. We need that comfort. <laughs> the only way to find comfort alone is to carry, to, to add to your load, and, and that's a disadvantage. And so we, we have people to support us and to care and to comfort us. And then it continues. It says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. It wasn't only dangerous in this culture to, to walk alone, it was dangerous to live alone. And so it was saying, hey, uh, th- this is a better life, to live, it, it's dangerous. You're more productive together. You, you're able to help one another. You find comfort one another. There's safety and security uh, with community when you're living uh, with one another. In today's culture, uh, the, this this same thing applies too. It's dangerous to live this life alone because when you live this life alone, you're more apt to spiritual sins. You're more apt to emotional scars and and anxieties and emotional baggage. And so you need people in your life. That's what he's saying. You need people. And then he says this, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And I love this because Solomon begins with one. What does he say in verse verse 8? There's one, and what's that one? He's isolated and alone. There's one who has a lot, there's one who's lazy, and there's one who's who's lonely, but there's a common denominator. There's one and they're alone. And then he goes, hey, two is then, then he says, then he goes to two. Verse nine, two is better than one. They're, they're not as easily broken, but then he goes to three. And he says, hey, a threefold cord, that's where it's at, because it's not easily broken. And we see an awesome principle that we need community. Proverbs. 11 verse 14 says it this way, where there's no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counsels, there's safety, there's wisdom. We'll say we need, we need people in our lives pushing us closer to Jesus and pushing us closer to each other. Colossians, I said it earlier, uh, Colossians 2.19, not holding fast uh, the head uh, from the body all. From whom all the body is nourished, the head, Christ, whom all the body is nourished and knit together by the joints and ligaments grows with the increase from God. that, That we, the body of Christ, are fitly knit together. A uh, firm foundation in the head of Christ. And when we're fiddling it together, uh, we, we do and, and we are who we're intended to be. And, and Ecclesiastes kind of, kind of finds this picture that the New Testament will expound on, that we need people. We need community. We shouldn't go through life alone by ourselves. And so the point is simple. We're made for community and we're made for meaningful relationships. And the last thing is this, and this is my quickest point. What better brings will soon pass under the sun. He concludes kind of heavy. You need people. And then verse 13 says this. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, this poor guy. And although he was born poor in his kingdom, he saw all the living who walk under the sun. And they were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end to all the people. Over whom he was made king. And yet, those who come after him will not rejoice in him. And surely, it was vanity and grasping for the wind. This is the fourth better statement here in this chapter. The first one was, was, was an intense one that we talked about a few weeks ago. Yet, better than both was he who never existed. Then there was uh, verse, uh, verse 4 a handful with quietness is better than both hands full. And then verse 9 two are better than one, and now better a poor and wise king. And we find that better is not always best because Solomon concludes what? It's vanity. It's vanity. And he paints a picture of this young youth who was poor and he was thrown in prison, maybe perhaps from an unjust king, but he gets out of prison and he becomes king. And people celebrate, right, great end of a movie right there. This king, oh yeah, the underdog won. But then the people turn and change their mind, right? Because there's no more rejoicing for this king, and this king finally understands some things in the heaviness of leadership. And it, and it paints a picture that wealth and position does not guarantee you success, but poverty and lack of opportunity does not, uh, is not a barrier for achievement because the key is wisdom and using that wisdom for God. And so he takes leadership and he, and he, and he uh, leads wisely. But the people change their minds. They're not celebrating him, but they're looking for for the next guy. And he he paints this picture that there's a a loneliness in better and even in leadership, that leadership can be the loneliest place to be because there's loneliness in leadership. And so he turns to the palace and what he finds is loneliness. He's lonely because better is not always best. And we see this in our lives because you know who we want to lead us? Whoever's next, (laughs) That's what we want to lead us. We see this in presidents, right, where we amp up about a president and then they have flaws and we're like, oh, the next guy, he'll fix these issues. And, and then we see this, it's always, hey, the next guy, we see this in coaches, it's going to be the next one. The next one will get us out of this rut. We see this in, in, in uh, athletics, oh, trade him away. The next guy will get somebody, he'll, he'll get us to where we need to be. Uh, we see this in, in churches, Right. The next guy, he'll get us to where we need to, to be. We see this everywhere, and the reality is it, 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 it's not. Better is not always best, and that's what we find. Why? Because he'll show us that leaders will be quickly forgotten. And Ecclesiastes paints us this picture that better will not lead us, uh, that we better not lead for social status because we will be forgotten. <laughs> we'll be forgotten. I said I spent my last 10 years investing in students. And whenever I say I invested, I, I say it with sincerity, I, we left our heart. We invested our time, our money, our energy in students. But here's the reality of it. In just a few years, I can go back to the same stage that I spoke on for years, and not one person in the crowd will remember my name because they won't be there any longer. And, and if, if you're selfish, that's heavy. But the reality is you're okay with that because Ecclesiastes points us the picture that, that that's not what it's about. It's not, a, it's not about being remembered. It's about living our lives for his glory. Oliver Cromwell took the British crown from Charles I. And the, and the crowd celebrated because he introduced what's commonly known as the Commonwealth. And he said to a friend one time, he said this, Do not trust the cheering for those persons who will shout. We'll shout just as much if you and I were about to be hung. Why? Because you won't be remembered for, for, and that's okay. Because we don't do things to be remembered, we do things to bring Christ glory. Let me ask you, who, who here knows their, their grandpa's name? Grandpa's name? Okay. How about your, their great-great-grandpa's name? A little less. How about your great-great-great-grandpa's name? Okay, a little less. What about your great-great-great-grandpa, great-great-great-grandpa's occupation? Occupation? A lot less. Here's the reality I do not, and that may be because I'm such a selfish person and never asked those questions, but here's the reality, I've never even asked them. Because the reality is, there are some things that I'm thankful, I, although I'm thankful for the heritage that I have, I, I never even asked a question. About even their name. Now, now, now there's some things that carry over that I appreciate, and I'm thankful for what they did, but, but here's the reality. I don't know what they spent their time focusing on, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But there are some things that do matter, right? You see, you see their character traits and their work ethic that, that goes down the line. You see how they, how they disciplined and how they taught their kids that, that goes down the line. You see, if they kept their faith, why? Because those things matter. And so often we get so encompassed uh, on the things that simply don't matter, that we miss what actually does and what actually can leave a legacy because it's not about being remembered but it's about Christ getting glory in the way that we live our lives and sometimes we just miss it and so what do we do does that mean we just give up and wave the white flag life doesn't matter go spend the money no no no. we we don't lead we let Christ lead us as Paul said follow me as I follow Christ right so what what do we do we look up God's in control We look within, life has more to offer than what we spend our time fixated on. And we look ahead. The enemy's all around us, sin's rampant, but my God is in control, and so I trust. And so we conclude. This chapter shows us that two are better than one. We need community. You need community in your life. You need community. It shows us that that better is a handful with quietness than both hands full. You need balance in your life. Keep priorities, and you need Jesus to be your guide. Let, let him guide your life. And Whenever I think of leadership, you think of Jesus. You think of the suffering that we talked about earlier on uh, last week, and I think of the leadership of Jesus to, to empty himself and to come and to live among us and to suffer for us, and, and Jesus didn't just die for us so, that it could be, so it could be us and Jesus for life, but he also gave us his body the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and to gather around in community, and to love one another, and to grow with one another, and to be equipped with one another. And so the question is, do you know Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning, in community doesn't really make sense to you, because you don't, you never confess with your mouth, and believe that Christ is Lord, and you need to know that, that you need to be saved. You need, to, you need to trust in, in Jesus who came and to, who lived among us and who died on a cross for your sins and for mine. And although he, he, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he gave himself and made himself of no reputation so that we may know him. And so that we may come back into fellowship, into community, if you will, with the Father and then live in community with the body. So do you know him? I'd love to take some time to show you how you can come to know him if you don't. But second question is, is are you in community? You're in a small group. You have people in your life that that are helping you grow and equipping you to grow more in the knowledge of the Lord and and helping you uh, do life and even keeping you accountable. James 5, you have those people in your life, and if not, why not? And the last question is, do you have a desire to grow your community? Is it about you and your people and your friend group? And real close, Or do you have a desire to reach out and to minister and to grow and to help people grow. Because life was not meant to be isolated. We need people and we need Jesus to be our guide. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the ability to have people in our lives. Lord, we need people in our lives. Lord, we need people to to help us, to grow us, to mature us. Solomon had that. Early in the life of Solomon, we see in 1 Kings, Solomon had wise counsel and he rejected it. So we can have it in our lives, but Lord, I pray that we we have a desire to to grow, to mature. At the end of the day, it's it's a desire, it's a choice that we have to, to be saved. Lord, it's a choice that we have to enter into community, to grow with one another. And it's a choice that we have uh, to, to be accountable, to open up, to live in the light, because two are better than one. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us uh, dwell on you this week, but not just have our faith be just about um, us and God, us and you, but want people in our life to, to, to help us grow and to, and to help people grow and to minister uh, to, to others around us. Lord, may you work in us. Because we know that life was never intended to be lived alone. And so give us people who will draw us closer to you. And may you help us be people who will draw others closer to you too. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.